Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of the Limitless Grit Podcast. In today's episode, I have Owen Mayers, who is an entrepreneur based out of New York City and who is also the founder and CEO of Liquor Lab. So being someone who has a bartending license and someone who's really interested in liquor, I was fascinated with his story and why he decided to start this company. And I wanted to interview him and know more about him and like what made him you know, go from being a grad from West Point School, going to military and getting interested in this field. So um, it was an amazing conversation. I learned so much from him. And, you know, he shares about his favorite books, his favorite podcasts, what made him want to be an entrepreneur and what are some day-to-day challenges that he faces every day as an entrepreneur. So this episode is really practical. And if you are someone who wants to start your own business, who wants to do something on your own and are looking for a source of inspiration, then this episode is everything. So I hope you enjoy Owen's story and I hope he inspires you as much as he has inspired me. So without further ado, Owen Mayer. Hey, Owen, thank you so much for doing this podcast. How, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. So for my listeners who have no idea who you are or about your work, if you want to give us a little background about yourself. Sure. So uh, I'm from Chicago originally. Uh, went to play college hockey at West Point. Mm-hmm. Served in the military after that, obviously. And then um, got out of the military and took a uh, kind of an odd path. Went to work for a company called Jim Beam, a spirits company. I uh, worked there for a couple years um, in sales and as a spirit specialist. <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, all the things that I learned at Jim Beam is what led me to really create my businesses, um, which are ever evolving and different paths. So that's yeah. kind of the cliff notes. Awesome. So um, what made you start Liquor Lab? Sure. So uh, it was really during my time when I was working at Jim Beam when I noticed um, not only inefficiencies in what was going on in the market with respect to events and activations, but also, um, you know, the things that I saw in terms of how marketing dollars were being spent towards customers and really just the, like the whole, all the events in general is what sort of, um, I thought were not being done in a way that were very consumer friendly. Um, and by that, I mean, in a way that consumers could get the most enjoyment out of it. So went out on my own and essentially modeled it after cooking classes. If you've ever been to a cooking class on like date night or with your girlfriends, uh, it's it's imagine the exact same thing except for it's for drinks. So what could be more fun than that? <laughs> wow! So like you saw that there was a problem in the way people were spending their marketing money, especially like I worked at corporate America and I know like there's so many stupid events and you wanted to make it more interactive and fun and you just figure out a way to do it. So how long did it take you before you? came with a concept of something like Liquor Lab. And if you want to explain what Liquor Lab is as well. Sure. Um, So it was really refined in my mind over about two years of thinking about, you know, what what were all the things that I thought I could do better and what were all the things that you could kind of put into one room and and make it something that would stick. Because there's so many different types of events that they do. Um, And then I really came to the conclusion that you know, that cooking class format with, uh, you know, everybody has their own seats, everybody has their own seats and 
they you know, get instructed to make a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in between the drinks, they turn on music and it's, it's kind of a social setting. So that was really the big turning point is when you have a group of people that are doing an event, but then there's also a social element that's added into it with the, with the aspect of, you know, being able to get up and go chat with people and have a little light music turned on. And, you know, that's really one of those things that I did not see that they were doing in the market. Cause a lot of things that they were doing was, if you've ever been to a whiskey tasting, it's like, you got to sit down and listen to this lecture for two hours and then you get to sample a tiny bit of whiskey at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was really how I came to it. Well, so I was reading like a Forbes article about you and it says that you're an entrepreneur and you've never had work, worked behind the bar. So, sure. you know, I'm, I have my bartending license and uh, like there's so much to it. Um, so how did you come about having a class team and a class bartenders and um, coming together with all of uh, the team member for your um, company. Sure. So, you know, when you work in the spirits industry, like I did, you get a lot of training on, on the spirits until you become a certified spirit specialist. So you're very knowledgeable in the categories of spirits, whether it's vodka or it's whiskey or it's, you know, tequila um, and how those products are made and how they, you know, come to market and whatnot. Um, the bartending aspect of it really came through sort of just an integration in, in social circles where, you know, those paths really cross over in terms of the relationships, right? Like all the spirits, people know the bartenders. So then when I opened my first liquor lab in Chicago, that's what was when I brought in some of those bartenders that I was friends with that I got hands on myself. And really it was kind of a, a proof of sort of my own case study, if you will, mm-hmm. where, you know, if you get, if you get hands on, you learn so much faster, right? Like if you're a bartender and you work your way up now, you might have to work for <clears throat> two or three years just doing one thing before you could get the mentorship from mm-hmm. bartenders, right? And the industry evolves so quickly that you're sort of always catching up. You know what I mean? It's a lot. Like people don't realize being a bartender is a lot. I took like, I would say five weeks class and I still... I still have to Google every single drink I make. It's it's a technique. It's an art. And yep. um, so, uh, and you also mentioned that you know, like your company helps companies generate more ROI. How can they generate more ROI? Sure. So the biggest thing with respect to how we conduct these classes is that um, you know you're sitting in front of a of, of a table with bottles and booze and recipes and brands. You're sitting there for two hours staring at this stuff, and you're also having a great time. So you retain a lot of what you see. We do surveys, and we've done surveys where we ask people, "Just can you just name all the brands you saw last night? And people can list off like 25 things. So we talk about engagement a lot in this industry, which is what is the sort of the touch points and how long you interact with those products or brands at any given moment. So surveys, do you do written surveys or do someone like talk to them and like you, you know, take that information and uh, like how does the survey work? Every single person that comes here gets one of these. Okay. And I'm actually sitting at one of these uh, stations right now. You can see Uh sort of its looks. Oh, wow. And so it's quite an operation, but everybody gets a comment card. The comment cards are totally optional, but if you fill out what you think of each cocktail – then at the end of the year, on the back of this comment card, you put your address on it, and we mail you a cocktail cookbook of all the best drinks out of the whole year. 
Wow. Now, what we do, though, is we take that data and we pair it with the demographic data of every person that fills it out. So you have, you know, you can see that 30-year-old females are really loving the cucumber columns right now. And that's really valuable data because it's in real time, it's organic, and it's unbiased. The two ways that people gather data right now on this stuff is focus groups, which are highly biased, <laughs> and email surveys or surveys in general, which, you know, they're also bias because they're they're paid to do it you know what i mean mm -hmm. two ways of capturing data in this industry are really one through email surveys or surveys in general and then also through um focus groups both of those are highly biased and non-organic data data extraction forms um so the the brands that work with us they have to come through our conduit right so they're not just going to come in here and dictate what we say or do everything is done through our voice and through our format but the brands that work with us get a higher amount of ROI because the customer is sitting in front of their brand for two hours, learning about it, having fun, retaining it, and also reviewing it um, all in an organic way. So it's really just a really high level of ROI. We do it in here every night. Um, and it's really unmatched if you think about like an Instagram ad that someone flies through in one second. Mm -hmm. Sitting here for two hours having a fun time, you're gonna remember what you're doing. You know what I mean? Wow. So you started in 2017, I believe, right? Uh, in New actually, York. Actually, uh, yeah, in New York we did. I did a one-year pilot in Chicago just to test the business. So was um, the goal always to come to New York? So the goal was always to come to New York because New York is sort of the epicenter of, um, you know, the cocktail world as far as where, where things expand from, and also where kind of businesses in general that are fun and sort of quote unquote cool come from. You can't be the cool cocktail class from like. St. Louis that expands to New York, right? Because everybody in New York is going to start judging you in a kind of a funny way. Um, so the goal was always to start in New York. There's New York's also one of the biggest alcohol markets. So you want to sort of be centered in with that. That's where a lot of brands spend the most marketing dollars. You want to align yourself with these brands and where these people are allocating their money. So, um, you know, Chicago is a huge market. We're going to reopen in Chicago pretty soon. Um, we've got a big expansion plan in the works. So we're really excited. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant because you tested it out in Chicago for a year and it was successful there. Then you bought it to New York. And a lot of times when entrepreneurs are starting out, they think their idea is amazing in their head. And like they just put all the money in, you know, somewhere like New York and it's really, really expensive and it doesn't work out. And that could be the turning point for their career. So I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Sure. Yeah, it was, it was honestly the, my plan the whole time. I mean, there's nothing like operating a business in New York. It eats you alive. <laughs> and another thing I was really impressed was, um, you know, you have article in New York Times, you have article in Forbes, and with this podcast, I just don't want to uh, ask you questions. I actually want to get some, you know, like uh, practical tips for my listeners. So if someone wants sure. to start a business and if they want to get marketing uh like exposure like your company has gotten and um, be somewhere like New York Times, what do you want to do? Like, did they come to you or did you guys go to them? Sure. Um, it was a, it's both actually for this business. I mean, I've got, we've got a lot of organic press and people just come in and they want to write about us. There's two things that you have to think about with respect to getting PR for your business, I think. Um, number one of the thing that helps the most is if you're really doing something that's unique and cool, um, and I say cool because it truly is the word that, that gets you organic press. If it's unique and it's something that's, you know, kind of cool, um, you have a little bit easier time acquiring that press, right? If you're, if you're trying to invent a new car seat, 
it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, it's not really that unique or cool. But if you're doing something that's only ever, no one has ever done before, um, there's a little bit easier of a pitch angle, so to speak. Um, and the other thing that I would say, too, is that if, you, if you're starting a business, and I'm always a true believer in this, you need to work on the ground level of the business that you're going to start. So, like, I worked on the street at Jim Beam for two years. I learned almost everything that I've known to start the business was because I was on the street level. You know, I've had I've had some friends that have tried to launch a few businesses that have zero expertise in those fields, and they, they have not done well. It's it's actually literally failed. Um, so, I think the the ground level expertise is a huge element of that. And when you have that ground level expertise, you can translate that into doing something unique and making a di- big difference in an industry. So know everything about the industry before you jump into it. Yeah, as much as you can. I mean, just don't know. Don't do not go in there knowing zero. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good advice. Um, you also played sports when you were in college. Do you feel like um, you know? Like I've interviewed people who have played in sports, and it usually turns out that they are a better team player or they are a better entrepreneur as a result. Do you think that happens with your case as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, West Point is also an added level to that because of the discipline and the leadership and the problem solving skills um, from the sports element, um, you know, competitive teams and, you know, working with people and, and solving problems and really sort of working toward a shared, working toward a shared purpose and shared goal. Those are all things that are stressed in sports throughout your entire life. from when you're five years old until when you're 40, I mean, those are concepts that translate well into the business world, I think. Um, and you know, hockey players are especially aggressive. So I think that that is also an added element because I don't have a high tolerance for anything that wastes my time or things that don't, you know, move the business forward. So you're like very goal oriented. Like, does this move my business forward or not? Absolutely. I look at everything that we do in here from an ROI perspective, every proposal, every email, every time, you know, Hillary gets a new partnership inquiry. Uh, the first thing I say is let's talk about the ROI. What do we give? What do we get? And, you know, where does that lead us? Another thing is like eight out of 10, I think, startup fail within a year or two year. What do you think is the most important for someone to know before they are starting a business to not be that eight out of 10 business? Sure. I think um, one of the biggest things is forecasting the initial sort of launch of your business. I think there's a lot of people that think that, okay, like you need to do all the research is what I mean. Uh, I think there's a, an amount of people out there that think I have an idea and then I'm going to get to the end of my idea before I analyze the things that will get me to that idea. Right? So it's like, I got an idea for an app, but I'm going to start, I'm going to find someone to start coding the app, but they don't think about, okay, what, what are the other costs? Like, do you have to have maintenance? Do you have to have, are you going to have other designers? Are you going to, you know what I mean? I think it's is doing that entire research about the cost structure um, will help you because there's a lot of businesses these days that operate not operate unprofitable for many years before reaching profitability, and they can only do that because they forecasted their costs. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that you could operate a non an unprofitable business for five years and have it be a success unless you know those things. You know. And you also have gotten like funding from West River Group or several other investors. And did you go to those venture capitalists or investors before you had the credibility from uh, your Chicago pilot? Or did you go after you had some credibility? Sure, yeah. So 
I went after I had that sort of pilot completed. Um, it's a strange world out there with respect to investment in experiential businesses. I mean, we have a tech element in here, but this is not a tech business. Um, the real sort of you know crux of that strategy for me was trying to really track down and pinpoint people that are on your same um, path, right? So the VC guys that are investing in businesses like yourselves, you need to go find that exact person. I mean, I narrowed it down to two people. That's how, how did like, you find them? Like, did you go with LinkedIn or? Crunchbase is a huge resource. If you ever play around on Crunchbase, you can look at categories of businesses and see who their investors are. Um, researching businesses, business ideas like yours or things that are similar. I mean, there's never been anything like a liquor lab really um, to this scale and sort of what we do in here. But there are things like cooking classes. So you look at cooking classes and you figure out, you know, who invested in cooking classes or who bought a cooking class. Um, so, you know, you really have to pinpoint down because there's so much noise out there and there's also an evolving landscape in the investment community. They, you know, the tech businesses now that used to be getting millions of dollars that were just ideas have slowed down. You know, there's people are being a little more careful with their money. Um, so really pinpointing those, um, those investors and really drilling down into who they are and what their value is key to, you know, attaining that investment. Was it hard once you found your two investors? Like, they, they called me back in, in 10 minutes and the first one told me that they loved every, every thing about this. And I was like, Oh my God, this, this worked like, this is great. And he said, but we're on an investment freeze because they had just acquired a huge company. That's a cooking company. Um, and then, you know, I was down to my last chance. So the other guy called me and within 10 minutes I was talking, the, the guy at West River group and I, who are very close to this day, just immediate connection on the same level, immediate understanding, um, a whole bunch of great resources that this West River group has and the people that are the team there. Um, they're just unbelievable people and, and they have really a, a similar goal to mine in the sense that, you know, creating an experiential business, making other revenue streams from that business um, and the whole time being customer focused. It's such a, such a great partnership. I couldn't have asked for better partners. Um, I just want to ask a question, like if someone wants to go to VC, did you prepare like a sales pitch or did you just go there and like spoke from your heart? No, uh, I, I had a guy help me. You know, I did 99% of the work. Um, I just need to help with the formatting because, you know, you don't never know how these VCs want to read a deck. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a buddy help me out with the formatting, but, um, and, you know, and I sent, I sent over kind of a, a very detailed report on all the little business costs and everything like you know you got to show people that you know exactly what you're doing down to the dollar um in a business like this and i think over in any business i mean if you want someone to give you money you better know what you're doing you better know what every dollar is going towards otherwise you're not gonna you're not gonna gain that trust you know well yeah so i went to your linkedin profile and i saw this quotation it was just beautiful it was like Every business starts with a dream, but if the dream is to, it's about making money, you're not going anywhere. So it, it's about if it's about making a difference, then the sky is the limit, right? So what's the dream for you from your life or what's your dream from this business? Um, yeah, I mean, my dream from this business is really to solve some of these issues that that are come between brands and consumers. Um you know, that quote was by a gentleman named Howard Tolman, who um, is the CEO of a place called 1871 in Chicago, um, who I think is just a visionary in sort of the startup world. 
And I love that quote because it really said, you know, if you, if you want to go into an industry and make money only, and you don't know anything about that industry, then you're going nowhere. Right. And it sort of goes back to my previous point, my way of thinking, which is, um, in order to really have success, you have to make a difference. Um, and so the goal for me in that dream is, is, you know, to take some of these, um, to sort of help some of these brands use their money a little more efficiently and, and have make a great experience for consumers that they will then retain. Um, I think that's important because there's so many brands nowadays. I mean, if you walked into a liquor store 20 years ago, there, it was a really easy experience. It was like, all right, there's only about 15 things to choose from in here. Um, let's just grab one and get out of here. Right now you walk into a liquor store and it's like, it's like walking down a wine aisle. You're like, holy crap, I, I'm lost. You know what I mean? Um, so when there's that many brands and everyone's fighting for the consumer's attention, where do, where does the consumer fit into that? Right. Is everybody just always confused? Am I always lost? It's, um, it's, it's very, it's an odd sort of, um, experience when it comes to shopping for brands these days. So the dream really is to, you know, help consumers navigate those muddy waters and but in, in doing so with a great experience. It, it looks like you kind of found like what you wanted to do with your time and it looks like you really enjoy what you're doing. And I feel like most of my listeners are millennials who are still trying to figure out their, you know, life's purpose or whatever they want to do. And it's something that I think our generation especially uh, struggles with like they have a job that pays them bill um, they have like two weeks vacation but they are miserable every single day right so what sure. advice would you want to give to someone who's in their early 20s or mid 20s who is confused about their life but like wants to be in a journey of you know finding that thing that makes gives them a reason to wake up every morning and work really really hard sure so I think there's two ways to go about that just from my experience, because I was in the same exact position as, as many others then, um, industry specifics is where I start, you know, like what industry do I want to be in? What industry do I think is fun that I could then, you know, get into and learn about. There's so much information on the internet these days. Even if you're super busy, you can really dive into some industries just on your computer. You know, like what are people doing? What is the market doing? Um, you know, and the other way to do that is, is to take a career in that field as well, just in terms of, you know, maybe it's not exactly what you want to do, but and you want to do a startup or something, but you got to get into that industry and learn about it first. Um, so that's the thing, you know, it's, it's difficult to jump jobs every year and, and figure out what you want to do with your life. But I think that there's something to be said about doing that research from a category standpoint. Say, hey, am I interested in outer space? Am I interested in automotives? Am I interested in physics? You know, what is it that, that I have a slight interest in? And then sort of go down that pathway of, you know, I, a very close friend of mine, he's an engineer, and you know, he went to school for engineering, but he didn't know what he wanted to do. And then um, he got into to high-pressure processing with juice. And it's like just took him down this crazy path of like doing something no one's ever done before, making such a high quality product and really getting passionate about it in a way that you only can be if you really truly do love that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He didn't go into his engineering school thinking oh, he's going to be a juice guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people just like settle to a certain profession because it gives a lot of money. But once you spend 50 to 60 hours a week doing something you genuinely don't enjoy and like, you have to pay your rent the next month, you could be in a really sticky situation. You know, there's like a situation where you're like, you really want to get out, but you can't because you can't take that courageous step. I think that's the problem with uh, yeah. 
And that's why it's not for everybody, you know? Like there's, I know a lot of people who, they're just like what you said, you can't, you know, some people have families, some people have other things to worry about, not everybody can do that. And it's, the risk is not for everyone either. I mean, there's a famous quote, I, and I, I won't do it justice, but it says something about, um, you'll know when you're an entrepreneur, you'll know if you're an entrepreneur or not. And it's like, period, because you, you have an aversion to risk. You don't, you don't recognize risk. You just recognize driving forward. You don't think about some of those things, but obviously there, there are take backs to that, like you say, with family or bills or things like that, of that nature. So, I mean, being an entrepreneur sounds really hot, right? You're like, oh my God, like you have your own business, you have your own schedule, but I know there is so much that goes behind the scene that most people don't even know about. So what are the struggles that you face day to day that, uh, you know, if you want to share about? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you're working a hundred hour week for yourself. Any way you look at it, you're always connected. You know, the beauty of working a nine to five in so, to some extent is that you do generally have the ability to disconnect, right? I mean, a lot of these finance folks are always connected on their phones as well, but it's, I think it's a little different when you're working for yourself on something that you could fail at, right? So I think in my opinion, I mean, you know, some of the struggles that I've gone through have just been, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. So you have to prioritize these things of what's going to help your business the most today versus tomorrow. You know, when you're working a hundred hour week and you're trying to prioritize those things, what things are going to help move your business forward? Um, and sort of on top of that, for me, um, it was one of those things where there's so many new things that no one's ever done before that you're constantly kind of experimenting each day a little bit um, and refining. So I think, you know, you call it a struggle, but it's a struggle that helps you is refining that um refining those things that move your business forward and make it better. You know what I mean? So the, the struggle is, is tenfold across the plate of everything. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, especially early on. Um, but you know, for me, I think it's important just to, to learn from mistakes and then quickly adjust. And that's the, also the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that you have agility that big companies don't have. Mm -hmm. Right. So if one night customers come in and they said, Oh, that was great. You know what I would have done? You can take that into consideration and say, maybe that is a good idea and try it the next night, right? Yeah. But also, I'm sure there are, when you were especially starting out, you probably had one of those days when you were like frustrated out of your mind and you're like, what the hell am I doing? And like, you know, nothing probably seemed to work out. And uh, even with the podcast, there are people who cancel last minute and everything. Um, what do you, What is your mantra that you tell yourself in one of those days when nothing seems to be working out? Yeah, I mean those are very frustrating days and they definitely occur more, more often than not early on in the business. Um, you know, for me, I think it was, it is recognizing that there are every person that you do interact with and every customer that you have, as long as you get that feedback from customers that is like, this is amazing. This is awesome. Don't quit. Um, you know, they, some, they don't say don't quit, but you get that feedback that you change someone's experience, you change someone's life or they love the product. The product, excuse me. Those are the things that really keep you driving each day. Um, you know, if, if you have no success ever and every day is a bad day, then you have to really reevaluate your idea, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, so, and learn when to give up, right? I guess like giving up is an option sometimes as well. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a lot of people that recognize they gave it a shot. And it, I wouldn't call it giving up, but it called more recognizing that it just didn't work. Um, you know, th th there are people that 
I think the people that have had success uh, their journeys that have quit, um, you know, are probably pretty far, few and far between because if you're having success and you're moving forward, then it drives you to continue on, right? I mean, if you're having no success and every day is a bad day, then it's still, it's, you know, it's just a tough world in general. <laughs> do you have any work-life balance? Do you like meditate or do anything to have some personal balance? Yeah, it's very rare. I mean, I do not have definitely. I do not have a healthy regularity in my schedule. Um, sort of as a as a decompression tactic that I use, though, is that after a long day being surrounded by cocktails, because I don't we don't drink when we're doing events and whatnot. Um, after a long day of being surrounded by cocktails, we like to go to our corner just dive bar and have a Bud Light. <laughs> that's our that's our decompression is just to get away from it all and just kind of sit in the corner and just you know talk with your friends and your coworkers and and decompress. Do you talk about work or do you like you know when we stop working we're not going to talk about work? No, unfortunately in this business all day every day all night all we talk about is work you know we meet people on the street or in a restaurant or wherever i just want to ask some rapid fire questions so um sure. is there any books you would recommend to our listeners uh yeah there's one particular one that i love it's called in the company of heroes it's a book, a book about black hawk down i recommend anyone read it that that loves leadership or would aspire to be a leader are you a big podcast listener Uh, yes, I actually listened to one podcast over and over nonstop. It's called How I Built This. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. I haven't listened to it, actually, but I've heard okay. it's really good. If, if I could recommend one episode, it's the Five Guys episode about Five Guys hamburgers. Five Guys? Okay, I'll yeah. write that down right now. Um, any movies or documentaries that have inspired you or you would want to recommend? Sure. Um, God, I'm a big documentary guy. I've probably seen everything on Netflix. Um, off the top of my head, let's see here. There's one called Icarus about the Russian doping scandal. Have you seen that one? No. It's a really interesting documentary. Any any sports documentaries, I love those too. Um, all the Food Inc. stuff about you know where the food's going in this country is all those are also crazy documentaries. But I just love all documentaries. Yeah, I, was, I think I watched Cowspiracy. That was pretty good. Yep. That was pretty good. Um, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh gosh, oh, that's a really tough question because I jokingly would say that um, I don't know. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would probably lean around something about learning a little more about the business world earlier. I feel like I didn't really dive into the business world until sort of college um, or late, late in college. And I went to college as a 20, 20 year old because I played junior hockey before I went there. So I didn't dive into business until I was 23, 24. So I feel like a couple of years earlier, I could have been doing that research and, you know, exploring categories of business that I otherwise wasn't introduced to until years later. So how would you go about it? Like from what you know now, right? If you could go back to your 20 year old, what, how would you go about like researching those business world? Like would you go Google or would you listen to certain podcasts or what would you do? Yeah. Well, there's tons of mentorship programs now, so you can reach out. There's groups and people that, that, you know, have training days or visitation days. You can go walk through their business for a day. Um, difficult to do at West Point because you're kind of on lockdown, but Um, the internet is such a big resource. I mean, there's so many videos and movies and, you know, podcasts now. It's just, there's so much out there. 
And I think those things are easy ways to do in your free time. You know, if I can't fly to, to the Under Armour plant, I can watch a documentary about Under Armour, right? So um, there's just a lot out there, I think, that you know, there's resources that you can pursue. Yeah. A lot of people I talk to, they say that they're overwhelmed with the information because there's so much out there. And I feel like sometimes that could be a deficit as well because there is so many directions you could go to and you get so overwhelmed that you don't even go to any direction. And I think a lot of people are like suffocated with information too. Yeah, that's a true fact too. I mean, you got that's a, a big challenge in problem solving is sort of sifting through what's valuable and what's not. Um, but I don't think there's anything that's really unvaluable at that age, right? Because you're in your 20s, you're overwhelmed by information, but you're still learning. So you got to just grind through it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I want to ask the last question. What is your definition of courage? Courage. Oh, gosh. Well, that takes on two forms. One that is, you know, very passionate for me is the military and what what they do for this country, um, the sacrifices that they do, um, and the stories that you hear that, that, you know, veterans have done um, both survived and not survived are just unbelievable stories of courage. Um, in the business world, I think it takes on a little different meaning. Um, I think my, if I had to define it for myself, it would be if you were at the top of the food chain in a business that you treat your, your person underneath you the same as you treat the guy on the ground floor. Um, I think it's terrible in business when, and I've seen this in companies that I worked for that, um, you know, as the chain goes down that level, that the treatment and, and how people are valued changes. And I think that's a terrible thing for companies. Um, you know, in the military, we had counseling every quarter. We had monthly counseling, there's quarterly counseling. <laughs> what are your goals? What do you need to do to achieve them throughout the organization? You get to the business world and some of these companies don't, they don't need, you know, you're on the ground level and that's when you need the most help. What do I need to do to get better? Is there schooling? Is there education? Is there classes within the company that I can t- study? Um, so I think that, you know, as far as courage is concerned in the business world, it's the person at the top treats the person at the bottom, the exact same as everyone else in the organization. And I think that is a, an important thing. Yeah, no, that's definitely courageous. Thank you so much, Owen. It was so much fun talking to you. I definitely learned a lot. Sure. No, absolutely. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. And if this podcast has added value in your life in any way, shape, or form, then please subscribe, leave a comment, and shoot me an email at limitlessgrit at gmail.com if you have any questions. And I'll talk to you guys next week.